Ladies and gentlemen, good morning from Los Angeles, California. Welcome to another edition of the one and only podcast known to the world as Sean's Sports Stop, where Sean Diplitsky gives his unique opinion on the biggest news stories in sports. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the one, the only Sean Sports Stop podcast, where your boy talks about the biggest news in sports. We got a lot to talk about, as always. You see the beauty with sports. By the way, this is episode number 402. Uh, The beauty with sports is that there's always something to talk about. You know, when you follow every sport, and for me, that includes basketball, football, baseball, hockey, soccer, tennis, MMA, you know, UFC, boxing, all of those, you know, collegiate sports as well, there is always something going on. And so with that said, uh, I want to thank you guys for listening first and foremost. And the first thing we're going to talk about is obviously the World Cup. Everyone is still talking about the match. Unfortunately, I was not able to do a podcast yesterday or Sunday, which is when the World Cup final was. But it's currently Tuesday evening and, you know, it's better late than never. But never late is better, as they say. Um, Argentina, I mean, looks like it was destined by God. Uh, what a match. I mean, you, you can't script it any better. Um, Messi opened the scoring with a 23rd minute penalty to no one's surprise. I mean, I think he has like five goals and three assists in this World Cup. Just absolutely stunning. He is hes a divine player. I think he's the best player of all time. I think he proved it. Uh, and then Angel Di Maria, who saves his goals for the finals always, quickly gave Argentina a 2-0 lead, 2-0 lead. And so at this point, it's looking like Argentina is going to dominate. They have nothing to worry about. They're just going to cruise. And that's exactly what was happening until a young gentleman by the name of Kylian Mbappe woke up. That came in the 80th minute. France won a penalty. They earned the penalty. Mbappe converted it. Um, You could sense the momentum and the tide shift in the French favor. And literally... One minute later, Mbappe, literally one minute later, 81st minute, scores another goal, ties it at two. And at this point, France is in control of the match. Argentina's scrambling. They just want to survive and get it to extra time. We go to extra time. And, of course, none other than Lionel Messi scores again, this time in the 108th minute, to give Argentina a 3-2 lead. They regain the lead. But France wins yet another penalty, this time on a handball. It's Mr. Kylian Mbappe again. He converts his second penalty of the match, this time in the 118th minute, to complete his hat trick and tie the match at three. Argentina would ultimately go on to win 4-2 on penalties, thus winning the World Cup, thus completing Messi's journey in soccer, football, whatever you want to call it. An absolutely legendary career. He has now accomplished pretty much everything he, he could have the World Cup was the big missing piece. I am so happy for Messi, so happy for the Argentina team, um, the people, the country. You know, there are tough times going on there right now. So them winning the World Cup is a huge deal. Congrats to them. 
As for France, I mean, they'll be back. Mbappe isn't going anywhere. He just turned 24 today, 24 years old. And he already has four goals in World Cup finals at 24 years of age. He's going to smash every record there is, goal scoring, French national team, PSG, World Cup, all the records. He's going to smash them. And France will for sure be right back in the thick of things when they get healthy in 2026 with N'Golo Kante coming back, Paul Pogba coming back, all of those guys coming back. Uh, France will be right there. I'm so happy that Messi won this World Cup. He truly deserved it. The only thing that would have been better would be a Argentina-Portugal final, you know, Messi versus Ronaldo. But this final was unbelievable. It was an amazing World Cup, an amazing tournament by Messi, Argentina, all the teams. Shout out to Morocco with the Cinder- the crazy Cinderella run that they had, making it to the semifinals, the first African nation to do so. Uh, the U.S., you know, some exciting matches, even, you know, getting outclassed by the Dutch. It was a great learning experience. I'm very excited to see what we can do at home in 2026. I'll definitely be going to the, a lot of the World Cup matches next time around. And yeah, with that, let's transition to some baseball. Xander Bogarts reportedly felt disrespected by the Boston Red Sox before he chose to sign with the San Diego Padres on an 11-year, $280 million deal. According to ESPN, Bogart's quote would have seriously considered a contract extension in the range of Trevor Story's six-year $140 million um, that he signed with the Red Sox ahead of the 2022 season. However, the American League East team insisted, excuse me, instead offered him one, one more year and $30 million on top of the three years and $60 million he had remaining on his previous deal. Someone close to the shortstop said he interpreted that offer as a slap. That did not stop him from thanking the fans, you know, rightfully so. He's been with the Red Sox his whole career. Uh, It seems that Boston had a path to prevent Bogarts from even hitting free agency at 30 years old. Uh, It was explained the four-time All-Star wanted to remain with the Red Sox for his entire career and was even willing to move to second or third base down the line if that was necessary. However, he did not want to accept a team-friendly deal just for the sake of staying put, and the Padres significantly outbid Boston after he hit free agency this offseason. Quote, there are a couple of regrets, Red Sox chief baseball officer Shane uh, Bloom said of the negotiation process with Bogarts. And as a Dodger fan, I truly feel bad for Red Sox fans because um, this whole fiasco with Bogarts, I'm sure, makes losing Mookie Betts that much more painful because the whole rationale for letting Mookie go was that the Red Sox would have money to keep Xander Bogarts to keep Rafael Devers, which is looking increasingly unlikely. While Boston was not interested in signing Bogarts to a massive deal that would have taken him into his late 30s and possibly early 40s like the Padres did, the calculus of his value changed during the 2022 campaign. He already had two World Series crowns, four Silver Sluggers, and three All-Star selections on his resume, but he turned in one of the best years of his career just in time for free agency as he slashed 307, 377, 456 with 15 home runs and 73 RBIs while posting five defensive runs saved above average with his glove per fan graphs. His 5.8 wins above replacement total was second only to the 6.3 he posted in 2019. This is according to baseball reference. He was a very bright spot for a Red Sox team that otherwise spiraled on the way to a last place finish in the AL East at 78 and 84. Um, so, you know, more pain for the Red Sox fans, very unfortunate for them. 
And uh, yeah, sucks for them for sure. And for the Padres, I mean, hopefully it works out for them. An 11-year contract for a 30-year-old is massive. Switching gears to some NFL unfortunate news for the Colts and their fans. And Jonathan Taylor is reportedly highly unlikely to play again this season after suffering a high ankle sprain in Saturday's loss to the Minnesota Vikings. NFL Network reported no formal determination has been made, but all eyes are expected to be on a healthy 2023. JT missed time earlier this season in weeks 5 and 6 with an ankle injury. He came back for weeks 7 and 8, but then again missed week 9 after re-aggravating the injury in a October 30th loss to the Washington Commanders. In a week 15 loss to the Minnesota Vikings, Taylor suffered another ankle injury and was ruled out for the remainder of the game. Losing the 23-year-old for any period of time certainly is not ideal for the Colts. He has rushed for 861 yards and four scores in 11 games this season. However, the Colts' offense has not played well even with Taylor in the lineup. Quarterback Matt Ryan has been at the root of the team's problems, though the offensive line hasn't been any better by any means. Um, so just, you know, more bad news for Colts and for their sake, hopefully they figure it out. Um, let's switch gears to some college sports, some college shenanigans. Highly touted quarterback prospect Dante Moore has flipped his commitment from Oregon to UCLA. Quote, I went on a visit to UCLA, Moore told Pete Thamel of ESPN. I talked to God and my people and really within myself, I knew that UCLA was the right move for me. Moore previously committed to Oregon in July, but he visited the Bruins earlier this month and it helped sway his decision. Offensive coordinator Kenny Dillingham had also been Moore's primary recruiter at Oregon, but he left to become head coach at Arizona State. The five-star recruit is considered the number three overall player in the 2023 class by 24-7 sports behind, only behind fellow quarterbacks Arch, Arch excuse me, Manning and Nicholas Ayamaliva. Moore put up incredible numbers at Martin Luther King High School in Detroit, totaling 135 passing touchdowns across four seasons as a varsity starter. He had 32 passing touchdowns and only three interceptions as a senior while leading his team to a second straight Michigan State championship. He led his team to a 40-11 and record as a starter, reaching the state finals three times out of four years. The incoming freshman will look to continue the success with UCLA, which is trending in the right direction after a slow start under head coach Chip Kelly. The squad won only 10 total games from 2018 to 2020 before going 8-4 in 2021. The Bruins went 9-3 this season and will compete in the Sun Bowl against Pittsburgh, the team's first bowl appearance since 2017. The 2021 Holiday Bowl was canceled due to a COVID-19 outbreak. So congrats to UCLA. Uh, Commiserations to Oregon for losing Dante Moore. Uh, I'm sure they'll recover. One way or another, they will have to. And uh, speaking of recovery, let's talk about these two fellas in the NFL. Perhaps there was a time in the NFL when quarterbacks were given more time before they were expected to be franchise cornerstones, but New York Jets quarterback Zach Wilson was thrown into the big market spotlight as soon as the AFC's team selected him with the number two overall pick of the 2021 draft. Head coach Robert Saleh wishes that wasn't the case, saying, quote, The frustrating thing is that this kid is going to be a good quarterback, but the NFL in this new instant coffee world that we're in just doesn't want to give people time. He said of Zach Wilson, per ESPN, 
So we look at him and he's just nitpicked with a fine tooth comb. Saleh benched Wilson this season, although the BYU product was back under center for Sunday's loss to the Detroit Lions because Mike White was sidelined with fractured ribs. It remains to be seen whether White will return for Thursday's game against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Wilson went 18 for 35 for 317 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception in the loss to Detroit. Uh, Salah said he was pumped for the quarterback because he took the big step of overcoming some adversity during the game and leading a touchdown drive in the fourth quarter. Whichever quarterback is under center for the 7-7 seven and seven Jets will need to get them back on track after three straight losses if they're going to make the postseason. New York is one game behind the Los Angeles Chargers and Miami Dolphins for the final two AFC wildcard spots. So that is the latest update. A huge bounce back game for Zach Wilson. And uh, yeah, let's take a look at some NFL playoff scenarios, shall we? Some NFL playoff scenarios. If it feels like almost all of the teams in the NFL are holding on to playoff hopes, however slim, the feeling isn't wrong. Heading down the stretch, uh, a number of teams remain in the running for the postseason, while positioning remains in flux. So currently in the AFC, the Buffalo Bills are at number one at 11-3. They win the tiebreaker over the Kansas City Chiefs, who are also at 11-3 based on a head-to-head win percentage. Then the three seed, you have the Cincinnati Bengals at 10-4, followed by the four seed Tennessee Titans at 7-7, the five seed Baltimore Ravens at 9-5, the six seed Los Angeles Chargers at 8-6. The Miami Dolphins are also 8-6, but the Chargers win the tiebreaker based on a head-to-head win percentage, the 8-seed New England Patriots at 7-7. Seven and seven. The New York Jets are also 7-7, seven and seven, but the Patriots take the tiebreaker over the Jets due to a head-to-head win percentage. Jaguars at 6-8, and eight. Raiders at 6-8, and eight. Browns at 6-8, and eight. three-way tie. But in that order, Jaguars, Raiders, and Browns 10-12. Steelers at 6-8, and eight. Colts at 4-9-1, still in the running, technically, and then the Broncos at 4 and 10 are eliminated, as are the 16 seed, 1 12 and 1 Houston Texans. As for the NFC, clear at the top, you got the Philadelphia Eagles at 13 and 1, followed by the Minnesota Vikings at 11 and 3, the three seed San Francisco 49ers at 10 and 4, four seed Tampa Bay Buccaneers at 6 and 8. I mean, that's ridiculous. No team at 6 and 8 should be a four seed, regardless of the fact that they're first place in their shitty division. Then the five seed Dallas Cowboys at ten and four, the six seed New York Giants at eight five and one, seven seed Washington Commanders at seven six and one, Seahawks and Lions are at seven and seven each, but the Seahawks own the tiebreaker. Packers are at six and eight, Carolina Panthers and New Orleans Saints are at five and nine, with the Panthers holding the tiebreaker. Falcons at five and nine, holding on to dear life. The Los Angeles Rams at four and ten, eliminated as are the 4-10 and 10 Arizona Cardinals and 3-11 and 11 Chicago Bears. So that is your playoff picture. That is your update uh, when it comes to the NFL. And with that, let's transition to some more football. football. The Monday Night Football matchup was a fairly one-sided one between the Green Bay Packers and Los Angeles Rams at Lambeau Field. The Packers were healthier coming out of their bye, and they got a big win over the Rams on Monday Night Football. The Packers team we saw, led by an aggressive defense and a strong running game, was the squad that we've been expecting to see in 2022. For 6-8 and eight Green Bay, though, the emergence of a good complementary football likely came too late to make a difference this year. It can, however, give the Packers a blueprint for how they can rebound, just like the Rams will probably rebound in 2023. 
that potential turnaround does not necessarily have to rely on quarterback Aaron Rodgers returning to an MVP form. Green Bay does still have Rodgers and the two-time reigning MVP who has dealt with thumb and rib injuries this season. He looked crisper and healthier after the extra rest. He also made a handful of brilliant throws, yet this game was dominated by the defense and running backs Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. Jones and Dillon combined for 126 rushing yards, 71 receiving yards, and three touchdowns. The defense logged five sacks and an interception and held the Rams to only 156 yards. Green Bay dominated time of possession, holding the ball for more than 37 minutes of game clock. Rodgers, meanwhile, spent much of the contest playing the game manager role. This is how the Packers were supposed to win games. The defense is absolutely loaded with talented playmakers in Preston Smith, Kenny Clark, and Jair Alexander. Jones and Dylan are one of the top running back duos, if not the top running back duo in the NFL. Uh, Rodgers shouldn't have to carry the offense the way he has in years past. Even with top wideout Devontae Adams having been traded in the offseason, asking him to do so was always going to be a challenge. The Packers do have promising rookie receivers in Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs, plus proven complementary receivers in Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb. However, Watson and Dobbs have had injuries and have rarely played together. According to The Athletic, they had played only 70 snaps together before Monday night, but overall, it was a big win for the Packers. Um... The official nail to the coffin of the Rams season. Um, but yeah, as a Rams fan, it's unfortunate. We're going to re- retool as a healthy team next year. And uh, with that, let's transition to some more football. College slash NFL slash Army. Army linebacker Andre Carter II is expected to be eligible for the 2023 NFL Draft thanks to a provision in the Omnibus Appropriations Measure. Pete Thamel of ESPN reported amended language was added to the Congressional Bill and filed Tuesday. The changes will provide Carter and any other current Academy upperclassmen at Army, Navy, and Air Force the ability to defer their military service for the chance to play professional sports. Um, It was noted that the bill is expected to pass this week. Carter is is potentially a first-round pick. He's the number 29 overall player and number 6 edge rusher, according to Bleacher Report. Uh, Thamel previously noted athletes have been able to to delay service requirements since 2019 if they had the opportunity to play professionally, but that seemed to be changing before the new language and that permits a legacy exception. The language said the inability to apply for such an exception, quote, shall only apply with respect to to a cadet or midshipman who first enrolls in the United States Military Academy, the United States Naval Academy, or the United States Air Force Academy on or after June 1st, 2021. Carter had the opportunity to transfer to powerhouse college football programs in the past and perhaps cash in on his name, image, and likeness, but Thamel reported his family never even gave such a path, quote, serious consideration, but I guess the NFL is a different story. Um... That was one reason they were so upset before Tuesday's amended language. As his mother, Melissa Carter, said, quote, Here's the thing that's so painful. You guide your son to do the right things because it's right. And it's really disappointing that it's not reciprocated. This has been his goal since childhood to go into the NFL. Every step of the way, that was on track until we saw his this article. That's the part that's disappointing. It's not surprising to see so many people transfer, opt out, or switch teams. When loyalty is not reciprocated, that stings. Uh, but it looks like a bill will pass. That will let him play, and that is absolutely awesome to see. More football. 
Los Angeles Rams quarterback Matthew Stafford said on his wife Kelly Stafford's podcast the morning after that he is not retiring from the NFL. The Rams placed Stafford on injured reserve December 3rd because of a neck injury and his status going forward was uncertain. Adam Schefter of ESPN reported on November 27th that the Rams did not know if Stafford would play again in 2022, noting he'd been in concussion protocol twice, had a strained neck, and also experienced numbness in his legs. The injuries have contributed to a lost year for Stafford, who has only 10 touchdown passes and 8 interceptions in 9 starts. His 87.4 passer rating is his lowest since 2014, while his 231.9 passing yards per game only beats his first two years in the NFL. So definitely a down year for Stafford, just like the Rams, all plagued by injuries. The numbers are obviously a dramatic change from 2021, when he totaled 4,886 passing yards and 41 touchdowns, leading the Rams to a Super Bowl in his first season in Los Angeles. Stafford underwent a procedure on his right elbow in the offseason and was limited in training camp as he recovered. Though he was back on the field in week one, he seemingly never quite fully returned to 100%. Um, so the Rams have obviously struggled mightily without him and all the other injuries, um, currently being at four and 10. Speaking of quarterbacks and injuries, (laughs) Philadelphia Eagles quarterback Jalen Hurts has not yet been ruled out for Saturday's crucial matchup with the Dallas Cowboys at AT AT&T Stadium despite a sprained shoulder. Quote, I'm feeling fine, Hurts told reporters Tuesday. We're keeping this business as usual. He also said there is definitely a chance he'll take the field against Philadelphia's NFC East rivals. So that is the latest update on Jalen Hurts, the latest news. And with that, with that noted, let's switch gears to some MLB, some baseball. Carlos Correa, the Giants. Carlos Correa's introductory press conference with the San Francisco Giants was postponed after a, quote, medical concern arose regarding his physical, according to a report, from the Associated Press. Per Ronald Bloom, quote, one person confirmed that Tuesday's conference to welcome Correa was put on hold because the sides were awaiting the results of testing. A second person said that a medical issue was flagged during Correa's physical. Correa is 28 years old. He signed a massive 13-year, $350 million contract with the Giants on December 13th, one of the biggest moves of the MLB offseason, one of the biggest contracts in MLB history. He was one of many prominent players to take advantage of free agency, Trey Turner got a bag from the Phillies, Justin Verlander from the Mets, Xander Bogart, as previously mentioned today, from the Padres, Jacob deGrom from the Rangers. While Correa's talent is unmistakable, injuries have been an issue throughout his career, as he's only played 150 or more games in a season once. The fact that the press conference was set for 2 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesday was canceled um, will only add greater concern in the proceedings. When healthy, don't get me wrong, Correa has been absolutely excellent throughout his career. Two-time All-Star, one-time World Series champion, 2015 AL Rookie of the Year. Hit 291 with 22 home runs, 64 RBIs, 70 runs scored, and an 834 OPS across 136 games in his lone season with the Minnesota Twins last year. He spent the first seven years of his career with the Houston Astros. For San Francisco, Correa was just about the best consolation prize manageable after failing to lure Aaron Judge away from the Yankees. Hopefully, even though I despise Carlos Correa, hopefully everything will work out and he will sign with the Giants and then he'll suck after a few years, if you know what I mean. And to close out episode number 402 of the one and only Shot Sports Stop podcast, we got some NBA drama. All is not well in the Windy City, namely between Zach Levine and the Chicago Bulls. 
amid the team's surprising 11-18 and 18 season. The Athletic reported Tuesday that, quote, multiple league sources and sources close to the organization say Levine and the Bulls are not seeing eye-to-eye. Over the past few weeks, that's, there's been a palpable feeling across various parts of the franchise of a disconnect over Levine's situation in Chicago. Uh, Shams Charania added the Bulls have held, have held, quote, multiple team meetings to try to work out their issues, and that has included one-on-one face-to-face sit-downs with Levine and DeMar DeRozan. Per that report, Levine and DeRozan have maintained a strong personal relationship, but on the court, a level of, quote, stylistic tension has been palpable. Um, Levine told Sharania, quote, there's a certain level of frustration in people trying to figure out what we can do to help right the ship. I think with the players that we have, we try to put it on each other to right the ship. We have those type of guys, those type of mentalities where each of us have been number one options on a team before, and then we all come together collectively. Um, It's not going to take one person. It's going to take all of us as a unit. I think that's what guys are trying to figure out how to help the group. So, I mean, he's saying good things. Some of those issues may have been carried over from last season. The Bulls were a fantastic start to the season and headed into the All-Star break in a tie atop the Eastern Conference at 38-21. and But something shifted down the stretch and the Bulls limped to an 8-15 record to finish the season. That dropped them from the top of the conference to the number six seed, and they were promptly dismissed by the Milwaukee Bucks in five games during the opening round of the playoffs. Like last season, DeRozan has emerged as the team's leading scorer at 25.9 points a game, but Levine has seen a slight dip in just about every statistical category possible from a season ago, and his 21.8 points per game represents his lowest scoring average since the 2017-18 season, which it was his first with the Bulls. It's hard to believe he's been with the Bulls for that long. The Bulls have actually outscored their opponents by 3.6 points per 100 possessions with Levine off the court per NBA.com, but have been outscored by 5.3 points while he's played. That's another concerning trend for a star player. They also have a negative net rating when DeMar DeRozan plays at negative 0.6, though they've been actively worse at negative 4.6 when he sits. Quote, we've got to get out of the mindset of worrying about scoring and how it's going, and how it's going offensively and realize the ball scores. Head coach Billy Donovan told reporters on Sunday, and if the ball's moved and passed, whoever scores, scores. Something is amiss in Chicago. The Bulls have too much talent to struggle to this degree. We haven't even mentioned Nikola Vucevic. Um, and with that said, ladies and gentlemen, this is all we have for episode number 402 of the one and only Sean Sports Stop podcast. As always, I appreciate you guys listening so much. I love you guys, and I'm out. Peace.